this vital issue, literally of life and death, which was usurped by the Supreme Court in 1973, has a prospect now of being returned to the people to have honest political discussions about it and make their own decisions. Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our very special guest is Matthew Frank. He is contributing editor of Public Discourse. He is also associate director of the James Madison Program and lecturer in politics at Princeton University. He's a senior fellow at the Witherspoon Institute and professor emeritus of political science at Radford University, where he chaired the department and taught courses in political philosophy, constitutional law, and American politics. And constitutional law is where we're going to go today because we're going to be talking about the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what is going to happen at the Supreme Court level, what's going to happen politically over the next several months. And Matthew, thank you for taking time to talk to us today. Glad to be with you, Deacon Jeff. Uh, yeah, we we live suddenly, suddenly, in still more interesting times, don't we? Uh, yeah, just when you think craziness has has reached its pinnacle, uh, something else happens. And you know, we heard on Friday that uh, the Supreme Court justice died, and you know, we should pray for her soul, pray for her family. It's always Absolutely. a tragic loss when when we lose a loved one. Uh, but the reaction was anything but muted it was all over the board and we were talking right before we came on i mean i saw i've seen young girls on twitter actually have meltdowns to the point where they're screaming they're using profanity and one said i just wished i was aborted i mean this is kind of the reaction that has been brought up especially when they think uh president trump is going to get another supreme court nominee on the on the board i mean on the on the bench Nobody uh, who, who doesn't need the clinical attention of a psychiatrist uh, actually wishes she'd been aborted. So, I mean, what, what, we're, what we're talking about there is a pretty performative act of agony over, over a political event. Yeah, and, and sure, of course, um, uh, look, I'm, I'm a conservative. Uh, I was a great admirer, remain a great admirer of the late Justice Scalia. And, you know, when he died in February 2016, I was apprehensive about uh, what would happen next. I worried with President Obama, you know, what, what kind of justice would replace Scalia? What would happen to the balance on the court? So these, these worries are, are very natural for uh, the liberals in the country who were admirers, are admirers of, of the late Justice Ginsburg. Uh, ironically, of course, uh, on the court itself, one of the most famous friendships of recent years was the friendship between Scalia and Ginsburg, uh, who had known each other on the D.C. circuit first. Yeah, and actually, I, I believe it's his uh, Scalia's daughter has been putting that out on social media. Just how close that friend, even though they were diametrically opposed on a lot of yeah. moral issues, they were very good friends. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Justice Scalia's son Eugene, who is the Labor Secretary under the uh, in the Trump administration, uh, had a nice piece about their friendship in the Washington Post over the weekend. They got together every uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, as as two couples, uh, the late Marty Ginsburg, who who preceded Ruth Bader Ginsburg in death, 
uh, and the Scalias, uh, uh, Antonin and, and, and Maureen Scalia. They, they always got together on, on New Year's Eve. They enjoyed each other's company. Uh, Justice Scalia would bring Justice Ginsburg flowers on her birthday. They went to the opera together. They even appeared in an opera together uh, as, uh, as non-singing extras uh, on one occasion. So, uh, yeah, they really, they really loved each other as friends. Uh, but it, it, it did, it did nothing whatsoever to tone down, uh, the sharp disagreements, uh, that they published in the United States reports as the, the decisions came out on which they disagreed. Well, and, that, and that's kind of where I want to start with. Now, I know, uh, Justice Ginsburg was appointed by President Clinton in the early 90s. Yeah, uh, but what kind of, what kind of jurist was she? Well, uh, Justice Ginsburg was, you know, we, we, we should we should pay tribute to her for her success. She was she was a pioneering woman lawyer. She she went to first she began at Harvard and finished at Columbia Law School while starting her family with her husband Marty. She then uh, became a tenured professor later, uh, tenured professor of law at Columbia, her her alma mater. Uh, she uh, she was the head of I believe the ACLU's. Um, Women's Rights Project and was a pioneering advocate in the Supreme Court, uh, you know, as a, a lawyer arguing cases, and achieved some victories for uh, uh, women's equality under the civil rights laws uh, and, he, and under the Constitution uh, that are regarded as as landmarks even before she became a judge. Then she went to the D.C. Circuit. I'm trying to remember. I think she was placed on that court by just uh, by President Carter, um, and. Um, uh, and then was put on the Supreme Court by by Clinton. And in her, uh, what is that now? Uh, Twenty seven years yeah. uh, on the on the Supreme Court, she was the acknowledged leader of the liberal wing for for many years. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, after uh, uh, some of the 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 older liberals still on the court when she arrived, uh, departed, uh, and. Um, you know, she she wrote the the opinions in some notable cases. For instance, uh, the VMI case, the case that uh, that forced Virginia Military Institute uh, to admit women as students. Now, look, look, I mean, as a as a conservative, I disagreed with her more often than I agreed. This was the position that her great friend Justice Scalia was in. But you had to respect her uh, ability as an advocate uh, and as a judge. Uh, to to make her case, uh, to marshal the votes for cases that she won, uh, and to uh, you know and, and to defend uh, the rationale for the decisions uh, that that she participated in, uh, she she gave as good as she got, uh, and uh, amazingly, really, as she suffered uh, many health problems in her final years, she was eighty seven when she died. Yeah, uh, she kept up. Uh, an incredible uh, productivity as a working justice, um, with no one ever doubting that she was in command of her faculties or or pulling her weight. Yeah, the body may have been failing, but the mind wasn't. Um, but you know, Absolutely. we've seen, uh, you know, I, you know, one of the things I think people should be concerned about, uh, especially, you know, we saw, you know, some of her decisions. In terms of just recently, right, we had Bostock versus Clayton County making yeah. gender ideology, right, uh, employment law, 
And then, you know, her her stance on the end of traditional marriage, right, when the Supreme Court went ahead and just, you know, destroyed that, among other things. So, I mean, she was definitely, uh, you know, a moral conservative. She would not be called. Uh, She was actually attacking the moral foundations of of the faith. And so Catholics should hopefully be aware of what she did and be concerned because to get somebody like that back on the court would continue to be an assault on on the foundation of the Catholic faith. Uh, And on the consciences of a great many Catholic voters, especially uh, if the if the Congress does away with the Hyde Amendment, for instance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I I, I think, Deacon Jeff, you you have it exactly right. I mean, I, I, I now want to turn from, you know, Praising Justice Ginsburg for as a as a person, and now we're going right? to her ideology. Right, yes, right, but right, but 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 uh, you know, I happen to believe that that the position she took in many constitutional issues was damaging to the country and da- damaging to the Constitution, damaging to the cause of justice. Um, she was not friendly to to serious religious freedom claims made in recent cases uh, by by people like. Uh, you know that 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 baker out there in Colorado. Yeah, you know yep, that fellow. Yep, Jack. Um, yep. Um, yeah, uh, she was she was on the wrong side of that case. She was a consistent supporter of abortion rights. She was a supporter of gay marriage. Um, she uh, w- was uh, always in favor of expanded uh, federal power at the expense of the states. Um, she and she was, frankly, you know, a, a living Constitution jurist not in any way a textualist or originalist like her friend Justice Scalia. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the worrisome phenomenon in our country of, of government by judges uh, never cost her a moment's sleep. She was, um, she was a forceful advocate, in fact. Well, and they don't uh, mind legislating from judge. the bench, right? Because that's really what we saw, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly right. And look, it has to be said that, that the reason people are, are, you know, liberals are apoplectic about her death while, while a Republican is in office in the White House and Republicans control the Senate, the, the reason is, is the abortion decision. The, the abortion decision, so obviously wrong as a matter of justice and of constitutional law, has riven this country for 47 years uh, into, you know, increasingly sharply divided parties on this question. The Republicans are 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 the pro-life party and the democrats are the pro-abortion party period now and uh and and that's it's an unhealthy division between the parties it's an unhealthy situation for our politics on top of the the, the gross injustice uh, of abortion itself and the the terrible holocaust that it has caused among the unborn um it has it has poisoned our judicial nomination process, poisoned uh, uh, politics in Washington in countless ways, uh, and it's what's causing all the heartburn right now. Uh, the loss of Justice Ginsburg to the left wing of the Supreme Court means uh, once again, and you know Republicans have, have have hoped for this eventuality many many times, but it means once again that. Uh, that the, fu- the future and fate of Roe versus Wade as a precedent is up for grabs with, uh, you know, with a jump ball that's now really in the hands of the Republican Party. Well, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you're aware, but so we're trying to uh, pass uh, 
ballot initiative or ballot proposition 115 here in Colorado that ends late term abortion. And so uh, right now it looks like it's pretty uh, evenly split. And so we have a very good chance of winning. But Planned Parenthood, interesting, just came out last week. And one of their things they're very concerned about is should Proposition 115 pass, we will not be able to rely on the federal judiciary to uphold Roe versus Wade and strike down this abortion ban. They are very, very concerned because we know President Trump has appointed many to the bench. And now if you get this switch, I think that's why everybody is basically losing their minds over this. Yeah, yeah. But think think for a moment, Deacon Jeff, about what they're losing their minds over. Yeah. They're losing their, they're losing their Life. minds over the prospect that this vital issue, literally of life and death, which was usurped by the Supreme Court in 1973, has a prospect now of being returned to the people to have honest political discussions about it and make their own decisions. That's just, I mean, it's... Mind-boggling. It's really mind-boggling. The overturning of Roe versus Wade would not, in itself, overnight, change the law of abortion in this country. It would return to the people the right to make the laws concerning abortion in this country. It'll wind up being made very differently in different states. It'll be different in Colorado and New Jersey, where you and I are. It'll be different in Florida and New York, in Arizona and Illinois. Um, uh on, on the other hand, you know, we might see national action on it, which has been forestalled steadily for for almost five decades um, because of Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade is the Dred Scott of our age, of our lifetimes, and uh, while Dred Scott was overturned rather rapidly by the by the force of arms in the Civil War, we've been living with this for most of my life. When Justice Scalia died in February 2016, there was I'm just I'm just going to say this. I mean, people people have these reactions, right? Um, I think there was a great sigh of relief and gratitude on the part of uh, many liberals in this country, who, however much they might have admired him as a person or thought he was capable, loathed his votes on the Supreme Court, associated him with a politics they despised, and were frankly glad to see that he was gone. It's, it's, it's not for us who live to think of the, the departed that way, right? To, 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 to rejoice in the deaths of others. Right. And so anyone who's rejoicing in the death of, of Justice Ginsburg is doing it wrong, right? This is, not, this is not our business to rejoice in anyone's death. But I do think that a feeling of relief and a feeling of opportunity probably came naturally to liberals in 2016. Wow, you know, Obama will get to replace Scalia. Isn't this great? Yeah. Right now, you know, people on our side of this question are feeling, you know, some sense of uh, of an opportunity um, for President Trump and the Republicans to replace Justice Ginsburg and start the business of setting the Constitution aright again. Well, one of the things I'd like to ask you, I mean, we saw how ugly it got with Justice Kavanaugh. I mean, it was, I mean, character assassination, it was, it was a bloodbath. Is, is that what we're going to see again? I mean, is that, is the Kavanaugh thing going to look like a child's play compared to where we're going? Well, you know, I, I, I think that 
if you if you recall the the Kavanaugh hearings well, the, it, they resembled the Thomas hearings of 1991, which I also vividly remember. Yep. Uh, in this respect, there was there was a phase one of the hearings when uh, the merits of the nomination were the matter under discussion, and then after uh, uh, the buzz of a of a of a journalistic. Uh, Story, right? A story in in in, uh, in journalism, a hit job. Uh, there was a phase two of the hearings. In both cases, it was the Anita Hill thing uh, uh, in 1991, and it was the charges against Brett Kavanaugh in 2018, which occasioned a return to the hearing room to hash out that subject. That's when it got truly ugly. Up to that point, yeah, I mean there was. There was ugliness, but it was it was sort of the ordinary politics of will you know will you judge so and so commit to this or that position or not? It was you know a lot of a lot of dodging, weaving, a lot of gotcha in the questioning, uh, but but nothing nothing out of hand for ugliness until the charges uh, of a sexual nature were brought against both Thomas and Kavanaugh. I, I don't foresee that species of ugliness happening happening again, especially if uh, President Trump goes with a with, with the current odds-on favorite for uh, the nomination, which is uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett of the Seventh Circuit. Of course, then we'll see uh, Catholicism in the crosshairs, won't we? Because well, we've already heard yeah. Senator oh, Feinstein yeah. and everybody else talk about oh, yeah. uh, their right. their opinions. They'll trot that out again. They they got their they got their fingers burned. You know, a bit of singeing there, when uh, Senator Feinstein spoke rather too candidly about um, what she thought of Judge Barrett's um, uh, uh, Catholicism two years ago, uh, rather three years ago, 2017. Um, but I, I do I do expect they'll try it again. But look, they're they're not going to find anything untoward. And the personal background of a devout mother of seven right. <laughs> from South Bend, Indiana. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's not happening. So um, I think that uh, I, I, this is a metaphor I hesitate to use, but I think that, that politically, uh, Judge Barrett is bulletproof. Uh, I think that uh, she would be easily confirmed even if uh, every democrat voted against her i know that there are two uh, there are two uh, republican senators both women both yep, yep. Uh, what maine, maine and alaska or wherever they are yeah yeah practically the only pro choice senators in the republican uh, conference murkowski of alaska and collins of maine right who both said you know there shouldn't be any vote before the election, and if Trump loses, then it should be Biden's choice. Yeah, um, yeah, that that'll work. Let's let's have a, a, a and I'll be kind a fallen away Catholic uh, make the decision uh, on a Supreme Court justice who, uh, yeah, that that would be like uh, yeah. you know putting the rat in charge of the cheese. I, I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think uh, I don't think Mitch McConnell. Is uh, is going to do the bidding, Justice Ginsburg? Look, I mean, um, I don't mean to criticize, but she she was a very political justice herself, and and on her deathbed, dictated to her granddaughter 
a statement to be published after her death, saying that it was her most fervent wish that her seat not be filled until January by the next person sworn in to be president. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, and now, of course, Democrats are saying, well, we have, to, we have to respect Justice Ginsburg's wishes. Well, sorry, the seat that she vacated by her death was not her property, and the Senate of the United States States are, are, is not the executor of the Ginsburg estate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. You can't put that in your will, and that and that a Trump's uh, right. That, Everything right. from you know two hundred yeah. years of history. So, um, so I'm you know that statement of Justice Ginsburg is simply a sign of how politicized she was as a justice and how uh, dedicated she was to keeping her seat from Republican hands. Now, she had her opportunity, 2014, 2015. Could have retired. Uh, to retire and give the seat to, uh, to President Obama to fill. Um, she, I, I believe, had a little too high an opinion of her own uh, indispensable character when mm -hmm. she said to an interviewer back then, uh, do you think... Do you think anyone would be chosen who's any better than I am? <laughs> she, she really said that. Um, yeah, well, didn't she also say that one day she wants uh, all nine justices to be women? I, I see, I've seen possible. quotes about that. I, 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 didn't, I, I couldn't know. verify it, but possible. I saw quotes on that. It's quite possible that she did say it. Um, uh, <laughs> it would be all, if I if I could pick the nine women, I, I <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Um, but uh, you know that that was another that was another mark of of her of her political outlook. She she tended to think that the interests of women were uh, were were the interests as perceived by liberal women and by liberals generally. But in the end, didn't she really contradict herself when she supported Bostock versus Clayton County? Because in the end, when you can let men identify as women. You can see where that's going, right? It's going to ruin women's sports. There'll be no more yeah. women's sports. I mean, so yeah. she may have said that, but then the way she ruled, it was almost like there was she had conflicting views. Well, right. Neither she nor either of the other two women currently on the court wrote an opinion in Bostock. They let Justice Gorsuch speak for them all. Right. Uh, however, uh, you're right to point out that the transgender issue has uh, has caused deep divisions among feminists, liberal feminists, uh, who uh, you know some of whom are extremely upset by the idea that you can claim women's rights just by saying you're a woman when you're not. Um, uh, that that's you know <laughs> that does not do the cause of women's equality in the world any favors whatsoever no it, it, it basically is a death nail again for sports uh for safety of women i mean we hear you know no no self-respecting guy family wants men in the bathroom with his daughter you know 15 year old daughter you right. know when you go out to eat or wherever i mean in the end it was an it's an assault on women and so for somebody who was such a proponent of women it just seems odd that you know, you would come down. I guess political ideology trumps your your issues on women. Yeah, I'm afraid so. The 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 cause du jour on the left is is transgenderism, transgenderism, despite the fact that it's it's based on bad medicine. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, look, I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand how, uh, liberal feminists can reconcile themselves to the fact that, uh, many of the abortions in this country are undertaken solely for the reason that the unborn child is female. Now, this is much more common in other countries. It's more common in India. It's more common, as we know, in China, where where uh, the size of families is still very limited, although the, the old one-child policy is no, no longer strictly enforced. Um, but it happens in this country, too. Sex selection, abortion, is almost invariably a selection against the female yeah. and the abortion of tiny women. Um uh, and this does not cause any heartburn for pro-choice feminists. Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're trying to, you know, want people to vote yes on Prop 115 here in Colorado. But yeah. I interviewed feminists for life, right? We interviewed secularists for life. These these are women who who get it, right? They may not have the same uh, faith background or whatever, but they get this is an assault on women, and I think. You know, maybe, you know, this this process going through, maybe there can be some kind of education so that yeah. people really see how how this really is an assault on women. This is this is treating women as a lower class, not not holding them up, but really holding them down. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. That's right. Uh, there is there is no angle from which uh, the uh, the abortion crisis, crisis now going on 48 years uh, in this country. There's no angle from which one can view it without saying one more thing to be outraged about. So, uh, yeah, so... Outrage against God himself as well as against the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, your insight is, is spot on, and I really appreciate you taking time. We're down to about the last minute or so. Uh, first thing, how can people follow what you're doing? Oh, well, that's a very kind question. Uh, I, I write pretty regularly for Public Discourse, the uh, daily um, essay publication of the Witherspoon Institute, which you can find at thepublicdiscourse.com. Uh, I uh, am also uh, busy at Princeton University's James Madison program as associate director there, uh, and all our events, which sadly are, are online now, right. Uh, but 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 one of the advantages of online is that they can be attended in real time by anybody, and you can find the events of the of the Madison program uh, listed online at jmp.princeton.edu. I'm on Twitter at Matthew J Frank F R A N C K, so that's at Matthew J Frank. <laughs>